This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. The experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free, just like we did for these current Web.com customers. We've used and and looked at other website designers, but there's nobody better than Web.com. Web.com can build your website in as little as seven days free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines like Google, Yahoo, and Bing. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. If you're in business today and you don't have a web presence, you won't be taken seriously. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-490-1099 or go to web.com slash radio. That's 800-490-1099. No upfront charge for site build, after which ongoing fees apply. Rights to site are relinquished when canceled. Domain included during active service, after which fees apply. Now, spreading freedom across the nation, this is... The Buck Sexton Show. Team Buck, welcome to the Freedom Hunt Freestyle Friday. It is because it's Friday, obviously. So I had told you yesterday that my plan was to do a very um, non-traditional Freedom Hunt session today, and I'm going to try to stick to that as much as possible. Uh, so just understand, that I haven't changed the show. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and probably Friday next week, we'll be doing a lot of politics as the election season comes rapidly to a close. Uh, But today I wanted to sort of step back and basically just hang out with all of you on Friday, if that's okay. Uh, There's some some informative, informational segments that I've got planned as well. Today on the show, I believe we have a bear whisperer, a sloth expert, and an astrophysicist to talk about the universe. So we're bouncing all over the place. And uh, I think someone from the Daily Caller will just bring us up to speed on the latest Podesta email leaks or something like that. So... We're going to cover all of our bases. I also am seeing, because I live in the matrix that is the internet, that's my life most of the time, that I think everyone's kind of taking a collective, uh, throw up a collective timeout right now, sort of like Zach Morris and Saved by the Bell. One of the stranger uh, special skills to ever be given in a sitcom was that Zach Morris... Who, uh, by the way, I haven't heard a, I, <laughs> I haven't heard an emergency vehicle all morning, and I've been on radio for less than a minute, and sure enough, one is going to go under my window. I'm not saying it's a conspiracy, but I'm not saying it's not. It's going to get loud in a second, but it's cool because it's like you're all here with me, and you can wherever you are in the country or around the world, because we do have an international audience. Uh, at least you know that I am in New York City, just based on the constant uh, street noise and the fact that it sounds like. There's always a four-alarm fire in my living room, which is also my bedroom, which is also my radio room, because I live in New York City. So, uh, this is all my way of saying uh, also a lot of... (laughs) Wow, it's getting louder. A lot of calls uh, would be great, or rather as many calls as you feel like. Um, We can talk about whatever you want. I think we can sort of consider this show today, uh, apart from the guest segments, to sort of ask Buck anything, or... Maybe I'll ask you some questions when you call in, too. Open dialogue, my friends. Uh, but the media has thrown up a collective. I got diverted from the Save by the Bell reference. 
which was a show that I loved, by the way. And in retrospect, it wasn't a very good show and didn't last very long. But when I was a kid, I thought it was great. Um, everyone kind of needs a timeout. We just, I think, no matter whether you're a Trump lover or hater, a Hillary lover or hater, whether your your dream in life is to be on the slopes in Vail smoking some ganj with Gary Johnson or um, building houses for the needy somewhere with Evan McMullen, like it's it's time to take a little break. Uh, it's time for everybody to chill uh, and and maybe think about some other things. I've been trying to think about some other things. And I'll get into that in a minute. I, I saw this morning, I, I have a sort of ritual as soon as I wake up in the morning. I should make my own coffee. All of the financial experts in, you know, that are out there, uh, they all constantly say, you know, make your own coffee because it is expensive. But it's one of my little vices. I don't get the fancy, despite what my firearms instructor at the farm, uh, the agency's instruction facility, once told me, I'm not a latte drinker. Uh, I am, yeah, Ty doesn't buy it, <laughs> but I am not, I drink coffee, coffee. So, uh, I, I went and uh, I go and I get coffee in the morning and there's a very nice gentleman, uh, who is, uh, Haitian who works in the, uh, works in the coffee shop where I go. And, uh, it's, it's funny because I go in there and he knows me a little bit. I mean, I just, you know, he sees me going in there all the time and he knows me a little bit from, CNN or has seen me a few times on CNN, which is I get kind of a kick out of it because I'm just used to nobody walking around New York City and nobody knowing or caring who I am, what I do or anything else. And I'm totally fine. I mean, that anonymity is fine. It's great. Uh, when I come out to Dallas or Salt Lake City and I see a member of the team, come over and give me a hug. But in New York, it generally, although I have bumped into a few uh, few members of Team Buck here in the city and I tend to like get all excited. I'm like, let's take a selfie because there's not that many uh, normal, sane Americans walking the streets of New York. And so when I find one, especially one that's a member of Team Buck, I get really excited. So I see this uh, Haitian gentleman in the uh, coffee shop, and he's been, I've been seeing him. He's just like, oh, man, no, CN no CNN, huh? And I'm like, yeah, man, no, no CNN these days. He's like, and he just sort of shook his head side to side. He's just like, Trump. Like he knew. <laughs> like he knew what was going on. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm not, I'm not part of Team Trump, uh, which is... Funny, considering that um, you know, I knew the I've known the Trumps. I think the first time I ever met Donald, I was probably thirteen years old, twelve or thirteen years old. Uh, he actually told me that I looked like the kind of guy who could handle himself at thirteen. So um, I think that was just respect for the side swoop because I've had basically the same hairstyle since I was four, or no, since I was an infant. I don't know why I picked four out. And Trump and I both go with the swoop. My swoop is a little more au naturel looking than his, but we're both we're both swoop hair guys, so I think there was some respect there. Um, but yeah, I'm not on Team Trump despite having known the family for a while. But I told you, there's a, a very distinct process that occurs in New York City. We all live in we all live in close proximity to each other here in one way or another. You have incredibly wealthy neighborhoods right next to much more uh, modest means neighborhoods. You even have block to block, street to street. I lived over in Chelsea which is a, a fun kind of happening part of New York. It's gotten now. It's very uh, expensive. And when I lived there, it was a little more transitioning, uh, transitional. And you had on one block, I'll never forget, they had studio apartments in this brand new building. I think they were renting for somewhere in the $3,500 a month range, a studio apartment, which, of course, I could not afford. This is when I was working for the NYPD. I was like, nope, that's not going to work. Not even close. Uh, but I wait, you, know, you want to go check it out, right? You take a look at how the other half lives. 
But down the block, there was what we call uh, subsidized uh, subsidized housing or, or public housing. It was actually public housing. It was what people refer to as projects, uh, New York City Housing Authority uh, projects. So you have tremendous wealth next to, as I say, more modest means. Um, but one thing that you see, the separation you see in, in New York City as well, because some of you are probably like, how can you hang out with the Trumps? Is that when you're a kid, it's all kind of the same because you go to, I mean, I went to a scholarship high school, but it was a very, very, I mean, not to toot my horn, it was a very good school. Uh, and there was just sort of an understanding. Everyone kind of hung out with everybody else. No one really cared. Once you graduate from college, then all of a sudden, they're the people that have to get three roommates and a job and try to make ends meet. And in New York, there are a lot of people who don't have to do that. And then this, then you start to see the drift and the separation occurs. So as you can imagine, Ivanka did not have to do that. <laughs> and I did. I certainly did. I had all, I had roommates, but you know, it's great because you get the roommate stories, you know, one day I'll tell you some of my best and worst like roommate stories over the years. Best roommate I ever found was actually, uh, believe it or not, on sort of a, on a whim or on the fly sort of quick i had a quick turnaround on it my my roommate who was a friend of mine from the agency had to he had to leave and um uh we had to replace we had to replace this person quickly and it was uh via a craigslist interview process and i actually lived with a young lady who's now married has several children and uh is very thankful that i made her stay she hated dc so much when she arrived that she thought about leaving and then uh, she became my roommate. No funny business happened. We were just roommates. Uh, but she was uh, the best, I think the best roommate I ever had, actually. So, and it was the only time I ever, I've ever lived with, uh, uh, you know, ever lived with someone who was female like that. So, um, what am I talking about here? Oh, yeah. So I, I went to the coffee shop this morning and I saw a few friends of my brothers. And one of them, I didn't know they were friends of my brothers. And one of them uh, said to me, he knew me actually again from, now I'm, now I make it sound like people see me because they see me on CNN. This is like the I've been noticed because of CNN twice in like the last six months. So this is I swear, these are the only times the the, the guy the the kind uh, Haitian gentleman who works at the coffee shop and also a couple of my brother's friends who knew me from TV. And it was funny because we started talking a little bit. I could tell because they know that I do politics for a living, and I'm sure many of you have had this same experience recently too. Probably in the last few weeks, I'd say, if not before then. And I, they wanted to talk to me a bit about the election. You know, they wanted to have a, a discussion about, you know, what's going on. And we all sort of started to talk. And I could tell, I could look at these guys. Uh, they're, they've got uh, advanced degrees. They work in tech. Uh, these are not, these are not rock rib Republicans, that's for sure, right? They're probably, you know, centrist Democrat types, uh, something like that. Socially liberal and maybe a little more centrist on fiscal issues, you know, i.e. people like to keep their money. It's pretty, oftentimes a bipartisan, uh, bipartisan feeling despite what the Democrats may say or think. And uh, it's funny because we started talking about the election and then we kind of drifted off into like, let's, let's talk about something else. You know, let's, talk about, let's talk about muffins. We started just talking about muffins um, and how like the best gluten-free muffins you can get. And, and, and I just thought it was, it was amusing to me afterwards when I thought about this because we realized like none of us really want to talk about the election. It, it just wasn't, it, they were done with it. I'm done with it. I, it just isn't. It isn't a fun place to take the discussion. It's not somewhere, you know, there, I'm sure they're Hillary voters. I didn't even ask, but I could kind of tell, you know, because I can tell. And they and I told them I'm not a super Trumper, but, you know, they know I'm going to vote for Trump. I mean, I'm voting for look, I'm voting for the Republican Party, basically, bottom line. I mean, as 
uh, and and I know some people view that maybe as mindless or you know lacking principle or whatever. You know what, guys? Life's imperfect, and we all make mistakes. All right. So the good thing about voting is it's all of us get to make our own individual mistake one way or the other with that. So that's the nice part about it. And it was kind of refreshing that to, to enter into a discussion in New York City where the subject of politics was briefly broached. And then everyone's like, you hey, know, let's just talk about something else. Let's just move to some other subject, anything other than this. And I think of my, uh, my, my friend from Haiti just looking at me, shaking his head, being like, Trump. And uh, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, man, that's kind of where it is. That's why I'm not doing much CNN. It's also why I don't have a whole lot of, uh, of additional thoughts on the election right now. Obviously, next week we'll talk about this stuff in, in, in detail, and I'll make sure that – and we'll go over some of the latest stuff today. I mean, really, just the WikiLeaks revelations. And there's some the Al Smith dinner. You know, of course, you're not going to listen to this show team and not know what's going on in the headlines. I know there's a kind of a Russian what is it aircraft carrier that's like limping around trying to look all tough, but it, it looks you know it, it's like a bloated, slow, leaky vessel. This is like an old Russian mafia guy who can barely get up out of bed trying to look tough. But we'll maybe get into some of that stuff too. Uh, but I wanted to keep it really loose today, um, I, as loose as I can. Yesterday kind of drained me a bit. Uh, I was really, I was really pretty disgusted with a lot of the debate. I will say, because um, I, I do read, I think some of you who write me messages on on uh, Facebook, which any of you can do at facebook.com/slash/bucksexton. You can actually send me a message directly if you don't want to post on the page. Um, if you uh, want to. I there are other people who have access to the page. Obviously, we have uh, producer Amy and other members of the of the team, you know, that sometimes will post some things or, or help out. But if someone pretends to be me responding, it's me. <laughs> There's no one else. So I always think I think it's really sweet. People go, "Was that? Did you really respond, or is that a someone on the staff?" I'm like, no, it's me. Sometimes I stay up at night and I'll read through a hundred messages and I respond to as many of them as I can. If it's just a link. Um, I tend not to have as much of a response because I'll look at the link you send as long as it doesn't look like, you know, uh, I'm going to you're going to take over my computer with it or something. Um, but I don't usually respond to links. I just will look at them and read them. Uh, but if you have something to say and it's under a thousand words, I'll, I'll always try to respond. I'm, I'm always uh, I'm touched that people that members of the team take the time to write me. Um, it, it, it matters to me. Uh, all of you matter to me. It, it really brightens up my day. In fact, I'll let you know a little secret. Sometimes when I'm having a really bad day, I sit there and I'll read messages and respond to the team. It always puts me in a better mood talking to you guys and gals. Can we say guys and know that it's guys and gals just for shorthand? Or y'all? I might just start busting out the y'all. Um, but one thing I wanted to uh, mention before we go into the next segment here, which is coming up on me quickly, is uh, someone pointed out that Trump made a very – and I, I'm not – we're not talk, we talked a lot about pro-life issues yesterday. I'm not doing that again today just because I can't. I, you know, it was, yesterday was a lot. Um, but Trump was very strong on that. And, I, and, I, and I, I got a little heat from at least one, maybe two people, I think, on that, that I said I was talking about how vile Hillary was on it. And I didn't give Trump credit for whether you think he believes it or not. And I know there are people that 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 argue on that issue. He was very strong on that. And I do think that was a, that was an oversight. Um, so I just wanted to I wanted to toss that in there as kind of a, you know, I don't know, take a mulligan. Isn't that what they call it in golf when you get another shot at it? Right. A mulligan. I don't play golf, so I should play golf. Probably be good for my career, and, but whatever. I'm, you know, I don't have the time or the money. Um, we're gonna talk about some books and some other fun stuff coming up. Oh, the phone lines are wide open. Like anyone who wants to chat about anything, uh, as long as it's not too weird, we'll do it. Eight 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 nine hundred three three nine three. 
Uh, don't be shy about calling, by the way. I always think that's so cute and, and nice when there's, you know, someone calls in and they're like, I'm nervous. I'm like, don't be nervous. Talking to me. We've known, many of us have known each other now for years. I feel like I know some of you better than I've known people I went to high school with. Um, certainly in closer contact with you. I don't talk to them for three hours a day. All right, the sponsor of this half hour are friends at Yankee Hill Machine. Look, I, I think the best thing you can do to understand what Yankee Hill Machine is up to is just go to YHM.net. Check out their website. You'll see they've got phenomenal AR-15s there. They've got suppressors, all kinds of stuff, uh, all kinds of kit for your firearms. They've got a really excellent selection, and they make this stuff here. It's a 100% American company. It's a family company. They do it up in Massachusetts. These guys are great. I remember they took me shooting not long ago. We busted out a bunch of the suppressors. We had a great time. They love what they do. It's reflected in their work. It's a company that really lives by its values, and I think you'll appreciate the products tremendously. They are really into the craftsmanship, and they do an excellent job. So go to YHM.net to see their full line of products. It's all right there on the site for you. Take a look around. Make your purchase. Make it happen, my friends. Yankee Hill Machine. Very proud to have them as a sponsor of the Buck Sexton Show. YHM.net. YHM.net. We'll be right back. This is the Buck Sexton Show. The Blaze Radio Network. The experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free, just like we did for these current Web.com customers. We've used and and looked at other website designers, but there's nobody better than Web.com. Web.com can build your website in as little as seven days free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines like Google, Yahoo, and Bing. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. If you're in business today and you don't have a web presence, you won't be taken seriously. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-490-1099 or go to web.com slash radio. That's 800-490-1099. No upfront charge for site build, after which ongoing fees apply. Rights to site are relinquished when canceled. Domain included during active service, after which fees apply. The Buck Sexton Show. Got some calls in, team. We can take some more. 888-900-3393. Glenn in Colorado, what's up? Hey, I just had a thought. Uh, My girlfriend was talking to me the other night, and she came up with a great idea. And it could actually go towards both parties. But first off, uh, what do you think about a shock collar on uh, Donald Trump? That every time he goes to stick his foot in his mouth, somebody hits the button and it gives him a little zap. And it's like, oh, my God, I can't go there. And, you know, all of a sudden he doesn't stick his foot in his mouth. And the same way for Hillary is as as soon as, uh, you know, there's any indicator she's about to lie, uh, you know, we give her a zap, too. Next thing you know, by the end of the debate, they're both flapping on the floor and, you know, we have to make our choice from there. This is a pretty, uh, pretty intense theory you've got here, my friend. Um, I know you're kidding, uh, but yeah, I don't, I don't really know where to go with that other than to say... Um, it would qualify as cruel and unusual punishment, and and you can't do that. I actually, I actually don't even. I remember getting into a fight with uh, with a friend a while ago over 
her um, parents' use of one of those shock collars for the dog when it would sort of go outside. Because I've seen the dog's reaction to that. I don't like that. I don't know. People tell me that it works really well and whatever. I'm like, you don't shock your dog? I, I don't know. I was... So anyway, no, I, if I won't shock a dog, I'm definitely not going to shock a human being. Uh, no, I definitely wouldn't shock the dog. Although I think I, I do like dogs more than a lot of people now that now that it, come to think of it. <laughs> but yeah, that's exactly my point. That's exactly my point. And I can just see it on a Saturday Night Live skit. You know, uh, I think it would give a little brevity to the whole situation. Uh, all right, man. Well, interesting theory, and I uh, appreciate the call from Glenn from Colorado. Um, we'll take, uh, we got some people on hold. Stay with me guys. We don't have time to take your call right now because we're going to run into a break here in a second, but we will, uh, get into it on, on the other side of it. Um, someone's asking about what I, what I take in my coffee. I can say I, I put cream and this is on Twitter. I put cream in my coffee. Like I'll take, if I have heavy cream, yeah, that's right. I'll do it half and half. I work my way down from there because I definitely subscribe to the Ron Swanson line that skim milk isn't milk. It's water that's lying about being milk. And I, I I drink whole milk. I have like a gallon of whole milk in my fridge right now, and I'm in better shape now than I've been since I was in the CIA in my mid twenties. So and I, eating I I put creme fraiche in my eggs. I'm a big believer in like natural good fat, uh, sugar and car and like starchy carbs are the enemy. I find. Um, so anyway, for those of you who are wondering about the coffee situation, I don't I don't go like full. A friend of mine referred to it once as gringo style, which is like. Lots of milk and lots of sugar. I don't know if that's actually a thing or if she was just making fun of me. I think she was probably just making fun of me. I used to do that, but now I've cut out no sugar in the coffee, just cream. Uh, Some Trump stories, Al Smith dinner, other stuff coming up. Stay with me. The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Team phones are open. You can also send me your thoughts at facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. Producer Amy might be popping some stuff there up on the Facebook page, which also means you guys can all chat with each other publicly there in the comment section if you want. It's a fun place for us to go back and forth. I try to get in there too sometimes when I can, but you know, it's uh <laughs> it takes up a fair amount of takes up a fair amount of time. Um which which I do enjoy. So let's take some calls. Greg in Texas, what's up, buddy? Hey, Buck. Thanks for taking my call. Listen. Uh, you were talking about Mosul and how after everything washes out and all the cockroaches go hide under the woodwork, the guys are going to go in and uh, start kicking down doors, and people are going to disappear. Yeah, I got a, I got kind of concerned. I always get concerned. I'm an old ranger. That's my background. I've tweeted you several. I've tweeted you, but I've messaged you. Greg, you were you were ranger. You were a ranger. You said is that? I just couldn't hear you. Roger that. I was a ranger. Yes, sir. Yeah, and I'm, uh, I, 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 I am you a lot too. But at any rate, my concern is recently when they were preparing to go in before they actually did the move, there was a lot of photographs and a lot of footage uh, of the coalition forces starting to gear up, and I watched those really close, and I know. 
we've got inside there some operators over there right now. And I'm sure you know that as well, and you know what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about necessarily rangers, but I'm talking about operators. You know, yeah. I don't yes, like sir. that footage. Is there anything they can do about that to keep that kind of on a low key? Are uh, you're, you're concerned that some of the stuff that's popping up may may show too much, and the enemy could use it against us? Is that is that I'm what you? That's part of it. The other thing is, is an operator has to be incognito. He has to go in. Years ago, we used to shield all of our faces. You know what I mean? Yeah, of course. You didn't see it. You didn't see we wore sterile uniforms. Now, I mean, all bets are off. You're you're seeing this on Fox News. You're seeing it on... That, that I got a I got a problem with that. What's the what's the protocol for that now, Buck? I don't know. I mean, I'm not I'm not. I've never been on the mill side. I only know things from the agency from the agency side, where obviously people, you know, identity and and all that is a is always a big a big concern, a big uh, part of operational security. Uh, in terms Absolutely. of operators out there, I, I assume they're not. You know, they're not doing interviews. They're not sitting down and talking to uh, reporters, and hopefully, reporters know enough. Not to inadvertently or or advertently is is that advertently a word? I think it is. Uh, show people who they shouldn't be showing, especially if they're in a combat situation, and it could be giving, you know, it could be giving a useful background or sort of useful uh, context to the enemy. So I, I don't know what the current regs are. I mean, I, I could ask maybe I get Brandon Webb to call in or somebody from the SEAL, uh, from the SEAL community tell me what the what operators or you know we had Jim Reese from formerly of Delta on a couple of days ago. Um, in terms of what the protocol is, I, but I have to be honest with you, Greg, I, I don't know what it is. I mean, I do know that uh, usually, you know, I, I even see a lot of SF guys don't want their, they, you know, they don't want their faces uh, out no, there publicly. absolutely not. Yeah. Absolutely not. Yeah. Um, so. And uh, so I, I, I just wanted to bounce that off of you because it's it, looking kind of flippy and kind of fast and loose on a lot of stuff. Now, is, are you talking and about news coverage, though? Or are you talking like, where are you seeing this? I'm not talking about. Not being interviewed, okay. I'm not. I don't mean like that. But I'm talking about in these big, you know, when a, when a cameraman swings right, the sweep, around, a sweeping shot. You're talking about exactly. Yeah, and yeah. I look at those very closely, <laughs> you know, and I've seen some stuff that kind of shocked me. Yeah. Well, if you see anything, Greg, in particular, send it my way. I mean, if it's already out there, let me let me see what you let me see what you uh, what you got in mind, and then, then I can sort of refer to it with more specificity. But yeah, look, operational security is is a huge is a huge consideration on, on these kinds of uh, in, in any military endeavor. But if we got operators out there who are actually doing stuff that you know is is non public, um, and it's usually a safe bet that there are operators in a conflict like this, and they're doing stuff we're never going to hear about. Um, it's important absolutely, that their identities absolutely. be shielded. But anyway, Greg, uh, thank you for your service, my friend, and thank you for calling in from Texas. Good to talk to you. Let's take uh, Adam in West Michigan. What's up, Adam? Hey, Buck. Just uh, shield tie. Shield tie, my man. Hey, just uh, wanted to touch base with you. Uh, a couple weeks ago, you had brought up uh, the White Helmets, a documentary on Netflix. Yeah. And I just uh, wanted to let you know how uh, inspirational it was. Uh, I had a uh, 14 months in Iraq and uh, just uh, see what uh, that cultural uh, still goes through is uh, it's kind of heart wrenching. Yeah. And where were you in Iraq? Um, Baghdad. You're in Baghdad. And, uh, Can you tell me what year? Yep. Um, 05 to 06. Oh gosh. Okay. Interesting time to be there. Yes, it was. It was, it was uh, before a lot of the, the fancy equipment came out, but, uh, 
yeah, it was a, a good time in my life, but uh, some sorrows at the same time. Of course. Um, you were Ar- you were uh, Army or uh, Marines yes, or what? Yes, I was. Army, Yeah, okay. I was Army, and uh, did, uh, I was wore many hats. My, uh, my main MOS was a, was a, a medic, but uh, at the same time, I was still slotted to be a gunner. All types of other crazy stuff. Did route leg. But, yeah. uh, you know, just to, just to see that that type of stuff still continues to go on and it's just, uh, it's messed up. Yeah. I mean, so, but you thought the, the white helmets, you find those guys pretty inspirational. I mean, it seems, uh, yeah. I mean, I feel like they deserve a lot of credit for running in there and just trying to dig people out of the rubble all the time. That's got to be yep. in every sense, emotionally, physically, psychologically exhausting. Yeah, and for and them, dangerous. You know, I mean, the they're, 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 the yeah, Assad regime yeah. is targeting those guys now. The Assad regime is actually trying to blow up. Like the white helmets are now are now they've got bullseyes on them. Yes, yes, absolutely. And it's like it's almost like they should just stop wearing the white helmets and just change the color helmets. Almost, but it's almost it's almost a uniform to say, hey, we are trying to do positive. And I feel like that's a great thing for them to do. And that's sometimes what you need to do is just to represent uh, the good that you're doing. Yeah, it's one of the only one of the only stories to come out of the sort of cauldron of constant misery that is Syria that I think gives people any sense of of hope or or renewal. Uh, you know what a, what a nasty and vicious conflict. I mean, they, they keep estimating the death toll between four and five hundred thousand. That's a lot of people uh, to have been killed yeah, over the course of, of of these years, and it just goes to show you that even in in this modern era when we have Really, everybody can become their own news source in a sense, right? Anyone can live stream video or I'm assuming the grid is up and everything, but people can take photos with their phones, communicate all over the world. We have instant, we have a 24-7 news cycle. We have instant communication with, with people in that news cycle. And we've been told that this sort of thing wouldn't happen. In fact, I mean, not to make this all partisan, and I'm trying to avoid that today, but, you know, this administration specifically, President Obama said that we, we won't allow these kinds of things to happen. And... The reality is that they are going to happen. Uh, so, and I, and I think that they've done very little, uh, even under the circumstances of not wanting to put a U.S. ground forces uh, as the primary, you know, as the, the 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 primary force. Even outside of that, I think the Obama administration has has done the minimum. It's been a sort of de minimis uh, application of U.S. diplomatic and military influence to try to stop this thing. But the White Helmets, yeah, those guys are. Are doing good work. I actually was just talking to somebody, a friend of mine, yesterday about how I'd like to get out to Turkey and go see some of the training these guys do and, and talk to them. And yeah, I mean, there's a part of me that wants to get into Syria, but my parents would never forgive me right now, so I can't yeah, do that I, right now. I, you know, after yeah, after seeing that, I felt the same way. But for me, I'd yeah. Too yeah. much, too much drama for me to go. I, back I, there. I, I know um, it was always one of these things, but you know, <laughs> it's always one of these things where uh, I know that. I mean, you know what I'm talking about, too. Going For me, the idea of me going into a, in a dangerous situation without any means of protecting myself, I always felt like there was at least no, some man. psychological benefit from at least I can go down, you know, at least I can go down fighting to go right. in really deep in the war zone as, as a journalist and just be like, well, I'm going to say I'm a journalist and hope that they're gentle with me. Like, that's, I, I haven't yet made that switch in my mind. Like, I, I want the means to fight back, and I can't do that if, I have a, if I'm a journalist. So... Anyway, uh, that's one of the things that one of many things that keeps me from popping up in Syria, which I'm sure keeps makes my family happy these days. But I'm th- I've been thinking about it. I definitely would go to Kurdi- Kurdistan. is like a ski vacation, man. Have a fun in Kurdistan. That, that's 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 no big deal. Once you start getting around Mosul area, and as the second you cross over into Syria, now now it's starting to get a little dodgy. Uh, so yeah, anyway, uh, Adam, man, yo, thank you for your first of all, thank you for your service, and uh, and thank you yeah, very thank much you. for thank you very much for calling him in. It's good to talk to you. 
Uh, I'm going to go into a break. I'm going to come back, and uh, we're going to chat about the Al Smith dinner for just a sec and then some other fun stuff. Be right back. Buck Sexton. The Blaze Radio Network. Listening to the Buck Sexton Show. Team, I, Team Buck, I usually don't do too much in terms of cyber stuff unless it's national security related because I'm I'm really I get confused by the inner workings of a toaster. To be totally frank with you, uh, but I'm not, I'm not an electronics and uh, cyber guy. But we've, I want to talk about it for a second because it affects me because I can't tweet to you right now. I can't get on Twitter. It's not just me; it's everybody. I think the whole thing is down. There have been. Huge problems all day today for some of the biggest sites, some of the biggest social media sites in the world. They're uh, Twitter, Spotify, SoundCloud, Vox, Airbnb. All of them um, have been hit. Uh, you've got Spotify saying we're having some issues right now. Uh, Comcast cares. There's a lot of a lot of stuff going on here. Um, looks like it might be a DDoS attack, direct denial of service attack. I don't really, I mean, I, I think that's, is that where they just sort of overwhelm the system with too many requests at once, Ty? Right? That's what it, yeah, it's kind of a, a brute force cyber intrusion where they just, yeah, which is why it kind of comes, it comes up and back and up and back for some of these different sites. You know, this is the, I, I tried to watch a little bit of this iRobot show the other day, which is, which is interesting considering that this is happening right now. It's about a, I haven't gotten that far into it, and I'm not sure I'm going to because it's kind of like hacker, it's a, sort of a hacker meets Occupy Wall Street vibe is kind of what I'm picking up here. They're going to, this isn't a spoiler because it's a second episode, so, you know, whatever. And the show is, I think, kind of old or a couple of years old. But they want to, and it has, uh, what's that guy's name from, the, he was like a, he was like a, teen heartthrob in the 90s for the ladies uh, christian slater yeah you ladies who are my age know what i'm talking about uh he's mr robot or something yeah mr robot not i robot i'm sorry i robot isn't that with will smith mr robot's a different thing yeah mr robot and that's about the hackers and stuff uh, i never saw i robot with will smith um but they want to destroy all electronic records of financial transactions as a way of creating radical equality and that was kind of where i was like interesting concept but i'm not sure this show is for me uh, but for a DDoS attack to shut down these major sites all over the world, it's kind of a reminder of how dependent we all are or, or have become on this Internet infrastructure for so much of our day-to-day activity and communication and, and our work and that this can be taken down. I don't know how many people are involved in this, and it seems like it's a complex, uh, sort of a complex cyber intrusion um, but, or invasion or whatever you call it. But uh, yeah, um, this is this is the kind of stuff that reminds us all. It's you know we all kind of exist. We all sort of stand on the shoulders of uh, of geniuses here, using all this stuff. And when it stops working, I have a moment of panic. When my iPhone stops working. I'm not gonna lie to you. I panic for a moment. I'm like, oh my gosh, no one's going to be able to contact me. I'm off the grid. What's gonna happen? If I if I get lost, no one's ever going to find me. I mean, you know, you, like it's not that bad. I'm obviously exaggerating, but I do have a moment of like, oh, what am I going to do? And there are about on any given day, I speak to less than 
I'd say I speak to less than five people on the phone, not including work calls. Um, I probably speak to three or four people on the phone a day. So the idea that that I, if my phone is down for an hour, my world is going to end is obviously crazy. But I think we've all reached this point, those of us who are smartphone dependent, where you're so used to having, I mean, carrying around a computer in your hand that can do all these things. I mean, I can walk around and have a car show up to pick me up. I can have it have spe- I can have it have certain food in the car ready for me if I really want to. Uh, I can post an article to a website with millions of readers. I, can, I mean, you know, you know all the stuff you can do. It's it's amazing what you can do, but it all relies on this system working. That if I had to explain, if a four-year-old was like explaining the internet to me, I'd be like, well, so, you know, there's like, there were phone lines and then we use those to sort of transmit data and data is ones and zeros. I mean, really, if you think about this, I think this is part of what needs to be changed in our, in our sort of educational system. Uh, people, we need to understand this more. Like there's, I, I never... Computer science was a class I took in school, and it was typing. I was basically learning to be uh, what, like, like a legal typist or something. I mean, it was, it was just typing. That was the only thing we really did. I remember taking that in school. And if you typed the right things, like the car would go faster or there was some video game component to it. I forget exactly how it worked. But I would have really liked to understand a little more about how this stuff functions and works. And uh, I think increasingly that's going to be a skill set, or that's at least a level of understanding that people – should have because when someone says the internet's down there's a ddos attack i end up saying okay i mean i know what that is but how does that you know how does that work exactly and if i told you that your website was under ddos attack let's say you had a website where you sold i don't know really nice knit christmas sweaters hey what's up christmas sweaters uh and and your site was down because of a ddos now who would tear down your website with the christmas sweaters i mean there are mean people out there. Maybe they would do this, but that seems a bit strange. Twitter and Facebook are obviously much bigger targets, but they have whole teams to deal with this. If if somebody hit your website with a DDoS attack, what, what would you? Who are you going to call? The DDoS busters? I mean, it's not really an obvious thing. You have to bring somebody in to help you with that. Web? Ho- oh, you call web host? Yeah, Ty. Ty knows things, so it's important to have him around. So when I ask rhetorical questions that I think are rhetorical, he's actually got the answer. High five, Ty. Thank you for that. So uh, yeah. That's uh, a lot of big sites are down. So if you can't tweet at me right now, it's not my fault. It's blame the Soros conspiracy that has knocked out Twitter. Hour two coming up. Stay with me. You're listening to Buck Sexton on the Blaze Radio Network. Spreading freedom across the nation. This is the Buck Sexton Show. All right, team. Welcome back to the Freedom Hunt. Great to have Team Buck here as always. We're joined now by Chris Bedford. He is editor in chief of the Daily Caller News Foundation. Chris, great to have you. Thanks for having me. So we haven't really talked much about politics today, Chris. I'm hoping you can sort of bring everybody up to speed on oh. What's going down in the world of all things political last 24 hours? We can start maybe with the DNC chair saying the Podesta emails have been doctored. Oh, really? So we, 
they have not taken any credit so far or, or said whether or not these things are doctored except for Donna Brazil, the interim chief. And part of that is because, well, it's likely that these were brought to our attention from a foreign government, likely Russia. So they could have tampered. They have a history of that. But the Clinton campaign hasn't said it either way because so far everything they've put their eyes on looks completely legit. It's embarrassing, but it's true. The only person who's really got something to lose here is the DNC chair. She could lose her job at CNN because it looks like she leaked emails, she leaked questions, which she should never have had in the first place to Hillary Clinton before a debate. And now she's lashing out. She's saying it could have been doctored. And she's also saying that as a Christian woman, she refuses to be persecuted, which is borderline insane. Wait a second. Donna Brazil, whom I've actually debated over at CNN, not sure she's a huge fan of mine, side note, Donna Brazil is is accused of passing CNN debate questions to Hillary Clinton. I actually, I didn't realize that that was, uh, that was one of the things from these emails. I must have missed that one. Yeah, that one came out just a few days ago, and, it, and you, you wouldn't be the only person to have missed it. That was one of the interesting things about this past debate, is I think that a lot of American people for the first time, not, not yourself, but a lot of folks for the first time, heard about some of these Podesta emails because so much of the media has been completely ignoring them. But one of the things that did come out is that Donna Brazil, a CNN contributor and now the interim head of the DNC, actually has an email saying, I got the question to Hillary Clinton. And it looks incredibly guilty. And when she was called out on it by Megyn Kelly, she said that she's being persecuted as a Christian woman. And then when she was called out in the, in the spin room by reporters, she said, like you just mentioned, that the emails have been doctored. That's quite, I mean, once you start playing the emails have been doctored uh, card, I mean, this reminds me of when Anthony Weiner was claiming that he was hacked. And it's like, well, that can be proven one way or another. And with this email situation, I guess she figures it's not a criminal issue, so no one's going to subpoena the emails or anything. But um, that you're, you're risking quite a bit of well, whatever credibility one has by saying that an email is fake when it's not. I, I don't. I, I think that's quite a risk, but maybe she figures it'll all blow over. She's certainly hoping it's going to blow over, and a lot of news uh, outlets have been just declining to cover it. And also, it, right now it's looking like Hillary Clinton's way ahead in the polls and could win this election, and she knows full well that if she holds on to her head until Hillary Clinton's in charge of the Democratic Party, she stands a good chance of keeping it. Now, uh, what else are you guys on to over there, the Daily Caller News Foundation? Tell us, tell us what's, uh, what's hot off the presses or the website, such as it is. Well, we have uh, an example of a, an Orange County college student who was arrested uh, last year, actually, but was sentenced him and his cohort to 30 years in prison today for trying to use the Pell Grant money they were given to excel and do well in the United States to join ISIS, which is what? another funny thing because... Why you think someone you get a Pell Grant, you're going to college, you must be smart. Apparently you can't be too smart though if you're trying to use all that money to travel to a war zone to join a murderous terrorist group. And he got busted also because he's not too smart, partially because he was tweeting about it. Saying so he was saying I'm using my Pell Grant to join ISIS? That's probably not a smooth move. He didn't say the Pell Grant yet, but he was he was pledging allegiance to ISIS and buying a plane ticket with his buddy and they couldn't wait to Go die for the profit. So the FBI started looking into it. And, you know, you have to be careful in the FBI. You can't just pull someone down for, for tweeting something. That's freedom of speech. So they waited till they got to the airport, 
with their $3,000 in Pell Grant money and their tickets to uh, Israel via Turkey, where they were just going to hop off the plane. And they nabbed them there, and today they went to prison for 30 years for treason to the United States. Wow. That is quite a that is quite a sentence. I guess they particularly find it, it, it the federal government gets particularly annoyed when you want to use the federal government's money to try to help a terrorist organization that wants to destroy the federal government. I feel like that that makes sense. That adds up. It does make sense, but it's 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 rare seeming. I mean, some of the old some of the original conservative movements founders in the 50s at uh, Georgetown University got their start by saying Hey, wait a second. We have all these foreign students coming to the United States, and they're taking scientific, they're taking uh, money from the federal government to pursue science, and they're leaving and going to work for us foreign adversaries. So why don't we have a loyalty oath for people who take this, take these uh, grants to study science in the United States? And they were attacked and called fascists and called the worst things ever. And they went on to start the group Young Americans for Freedom and fight for. They ended up winning. So it's it's an old old uh, fight of. Well, why can't I use my why can't I use my scholarship money to destroy America? <laughs> yeah, apparent, apparently it can get you in a lot of trouble. What else is uh, what else is hot over at the D.C.? So some of the things we've been covering, uh, we've got a professor at the University of Toronto, is a psychology professor who made he recorded two lectures and posted them online and said that you don't get to use your chosen pronoun. And that's the kind of thing standing up to the instead of he or she. So, so, so he so he's he, saying yeah the, the pronoun is the reality of your gender. You don't get to just be like I'm going to be this one. Yep. And since these people, since his enemies have decided that the pronoun that you make up is the reality of your gender, they've also decided that not calling someone by that pronoun is quote literal violence. Now, obviously, that's not actually violence. But 250 of his fellow faculty have signed on to a letter telling him to take it back, telling him to change his point of view, kind of a threatening letter saying that children are afraid to go to their classes because one teacher, a geography teacher, signed on this letter saying that students wouldn't attend her class because they are afraid unless she signed this letter. So I know this is just a little north of the border, but the same insanity is going on in the United States we're covering it pretty closely, and it's spreading through all the college campuses, and all these people are going to grow up incubated, and terrifyingly enough, they'll be making decisions someday. Yeah, uh, they'll, they'll work their way into the power structure, and they'll be ready for Hillary, and, you know, well, I guess at that point, they'll be somebody else, but they'll be ready for whoever the progressive candidate of choice is. Well, look, we really appreciate you uh, joining us, Chris Bedford, editor-in-chief of the Daily Caller News Foundation. Great to have you. Everyone check out the latest at thedailycaller.com. Chris, thanks again. Thank you. Ashley in North Carolina, you're on the Buck Sexton Show. What's up? It is an honor to talk to you, Buck. Um, well, it is an honor to talk first, to you, Ashley. First, I want to say thank you for being such a gentleman. Um, you really reflect my age group. I'm not but 29, but I was in pretty much every day. I don't call in because I'm at work normally, but today I'm off. Oh, um, cool. But, uh, I really enjoy listening because you have like an old soul like I do, mm-hmm. and it's more geared toward the reality, and you bring on very interesting guests. I enjoy it thoroughly. Thank you. I appreciate um, that. I also want to tell you, um, talking about the internet and you're not very savvy, watch the IT crowd. It's a little slow in the beginning, but it gets funnier. They tell her a box is the internet, and they hide it from her in the closet. 
Wait, the IT crowd, is that a show? Yes, it is a show, the IT crowd. Oh, okay. I will, I will check out the, the show. From, have you seen, have you seen Mr. Robot? I just got some tweets that Mr. Robot's supposed to be really good. Um, I don't think I have. My husband might have seen a couple of them, but oh, nice. I don't do the Mr. Robot. But uh, oh, okay. the IT crowd is hilarious. It's it's um, they're people that are you know you call help desk. Have you but tried are, turning are, on and off again? <laughs> right. Are, are you kind of in my category where you know if, if if you're part of the crew that's shipwrecked, you know, after the three hour tour with Gilligan. Are you going to be on like spear fishing duty, or could you make a radio out of some coconuts? Because because I definitely can't make a radio out of coconuts. I'm not great at that stuff at all. Mm-hmm. I could give it a shot, but I'd probably end up spear fishing. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's, and I'm not sure I'd be great at that either. I'm not gonna lie, to you, but I would try. I would do my best. I'd give it a shot. But I appreciate so. I appreciate that the uh, hat tips you give to um, Scrooge McDuck. Oh, thank <laughs> that's you. That's one of my yeah. favorites. DuckTales is a great show. DuckTales, and uh, I like I like to work yeah. in a little bit of. Uh, earlier today, we had Saved by the Bell, and yes. I, I get so excited when I work in a Jack Burton quote from Big Trouble in Little China, which is just a random movie that I love more than I should, and I know that. <laughs> and people, but see, the, the thing is, it's like a special club. If you love that movie, you appreciate Jack Burton so much. Have you seen it, Ashley? If you haven't seen it, you got to check it out. It's so weird. It's like so weird and cheesy that it's awesome. No, I will have to check it out, definitely. All right. Tell but. you you and the hubs this weekend, if it's uh, it's rainy and nasty here in New York, so if it's like that down in uh, North Carolina soon, I'm telling you, good one, to, good one to download on Netflix or iTunes or whatever. And Ashley, great to have a fellow millennial call in. Thank you very much. Shields High, right? Thank you, Shields High. All right. You take care. Uh, phone lines are open, 888-900-3393. We will be back in just a few. This is the Buck Sexton Show. On the Blaze Radio Network. Buck Sexton, the Blaze Radio Network. Annette in Colorado, you're on the Buck Sexton Show. Welcome. Hey, Buck. Shields, hi. Shields, hi, Annette. How are you today? You're sounding good. Thank you. I'm all right. You know, I'm I'm good. hanging in there. How about you? Good. Good. Gorgeous day here in Colorado. It's been in the 70s, so oh my. no winter here yet. But nice. anyway, the reason why I was calling you today was I wanted to get your opinion and your thoughts on a word that Donald Trump has been using, mm-hmm. and it's the word bigly yes ma'am and is that really a word i cannot <laughs> find it in the dictionary i cannot nobody's ever heard of it i you know it's so funny i'm gonna admit this to you and that when he used it during the debate i had my uh, computer out and and i was like is that a word and i like that according to uh what do we have here dictionary.com which i don't know i mean i i assume that's a a, a reasonable right. source. Um, uh, it is a word, but I, I, I agree with you that it's, it's, first of all, it's not a word I've ever heard used before. Um, mm-hmm. And it doesn't appear in like Merriam Webster or, or, or whatever. Is it Merriam Webster or whatever? The that, yeah, that's yeah. what I looked in. Yeah, that's the, the dictionary I used, and it's not in there. Yeah, I mean, I, but, it, it, wait, I'm sorry. No, it is. 
No, it is not there. Yeah, I'm just checking right now. So I don't know. But, you know, the thing about language, of course, is if Donald Trump uses it enough, this could become one of those words like YOLO that after a while becomes a word because people use it. <laughs> so I know I know about YOLO because I know what the cool kids are saying. Right, Ty? Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So so YOLO is a thing now that and I, I try to live my life by that maxim, of course. Um, but, yeah, bigly, I don't know. It, 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 Trump may have if not coined a word, brought it back, sort of like right. in, uh, in the line of fire when Clint Eastwood says people should start saying cockamamie again. Cockamamie is a fun word to say. You know, People don't say it anymore. You know, that's, yep, I heard you say it last week, I think. I think I might have. I work it in there sometimes. <laughs> I, also, I also like malarkey, you know, sort of my, uh, my sort of half Irish roots coming out there. So right. language, it's, we should have some fun with language. I'm with you on that. But yeah, bigly, I don't... I don't have a firm answer for you. All I know is that according to an online dictionary, it's a word. And uh, I, don't know why, <laughs> I don't know why Trump uses it. It's such a weird, because it's so rare. He obviously doesn't have a big vocabulary, so he must have somewhere came, came upon this. But he does sometimes sound like a cross between a, a truck driver, pardon me, not a truck driver from Queens, <laughs> anybody from Queens, and a um, uh, valley girl. You know, like he kind of has... He kind of has like the gruff, tough guy New York thing going on, but and he also the twist ha- at the end. Yep. You know, but he well, also has the uh, has the sort of like like I mean like you know which I try to always avoid that on radio. It's one of the things that drives me crazy. There are actually a fair amount of hosts who do a lot of likes and I means and us, but I'm not going to name names. Right. Uh, well, it's not you. That's for thank sure. Thank you. You're the best. <laughs> Thanks, I, in that. I, well, What's up? Go ahead. I just wanted to say when I did look it up in the dictionary. Where it would be in the dictionary, the following word after that is big mouth. Oh, well, there we go. <laughs> Coincidence? Kind of I think not. Annette, great yeah. to talk to you. Thanks very much for calling in. Uh, Mimi in California. Been a while. What's up, Mimi? Hey, Buck. Uh, I work in the cybersecurity area, oh. and I just wanted to tell you uh, DDoS is distributed denial of service. And essentially what happens is the bad guys can automate programs to keep asking servers for information, just like you, you, know, you call up as an individual, only it hits servers like millions of times a second or thousands of times a second. And there are ways to mitigate it. Um, and the way you mitigate it is I used to work for a company that has um, uh, Site Protect. It was the name of their product. And basically they sense when these DDoS attacks are coming because they generally come from the same set of IP addresses. And so what ends up happening is they can redirect the traffic to their servers and then they can um, clean the traffic and only forward the clean traffic to the server that's being hit. So generally speaking, that's something that only um, a company can afford to do. But But there are those services out there. Oh, okay. How hard is it? Like, if I wanted to learn, which I obviously wouldn't because hacking is illegal and bad, but I'm just curious, how long would it take somebody just off the street to learn how to uh, perpetrate a a DDoS attack themselves? Yeah, you know, it doesn't take much. And um, there's a really great book called Future Crimes that talks about all of these areas of hacking. And one of the things it talks about is that these days you can actually buy scripts on the black, black Internet market to do this. So there are people writing scripts for you that have more sophistication than the average Joe. And for like, a, you know, a couple hundred bucks, you can buy this and do it yourself. So it's pretty scary stuff out there. So instead of like going on the, the dark web and buying pipe bombs or something, you can go on the dark web and buy 
basically hacker yeah, software or like a hacker hack- kit more yes. or less. Yes, wow. you can. Yeah, I, I would recommend, again, the, the book is called Future Crimes. And if you have an opportunity to get that guy on the phone, uh, he would be a great guest for you. Okay. Uh, producer Amy, but, did you hear uh, that? Get him on the get him on the phone first, please. Future crimes, yeah, we'd, we'd love to have him on. Future crimes, because the cyber stuff, you know, it's it's because it's not terrorism and there's not you know people getting shot or blown up or anything. It tends not to get the same sort of it doesn't grip the public mind quite the same way. But this is now, I mean, this is increasingly a, a huge threat to the the world we live in. I mean, this is this can bring down companies' operations. This can you know be enormous problems for government so yeah well and here's the here's the scarier thing moving forward we're moving toward what's called the internet of things and so your refrigerator and your car and anything that's got a chip in it will be connected to the internet so just think about how scary that is going to be when all of those devices are connected your home devices people who monitor their home security on a phone anybody can hack into that and so it's really a serious problem, and the more we get dependent on the Internet, the more and more of a problem it's going to be. All right. Mimi, great to talk to you on California. Thank you for calling in. Shields High. Thanks. It's one of the awesome things about Team Buck is when I, if I like crowdsource a question to all of you, I get back awesome answers. I, when I almost bit my tongue off like a fool uh, when I was chewing rice, because, you know, rice is hard to chew, uh, and, and I, just so those of you know, I wasn't being a baby about it. Well, maybe I was being a baby about it, but I wasn't overreacting. They did have to check it out because it was so bad that they weren't sure that it would be able to heal like without it basically being a f- anyway, not to get gross. But they were they did think that it might have to have a little procedure to remove part of the side of my tongue. I didn't. It, it ended up being all right. Side note. But I had all these surgeons that are part of T-Block or ER doctors, surgeons being like, oh, no, you'll be fine, except check this out or do that. Or it's like, this is awesome. You know, any, anytime I have a, anytime I have a life problem now, maybe I'm gonna start coming to you guys for relationship advice too. This is gonna start to be like, hey, everybody, this is what's going on. Send me your thoughts. Facebook message. Let me know how I should handle X, Y, or Z health issues. You know how to how to learn how to properly deadlift without destroying my lower back. This is a big one for me these days because everyone's always like, oh, I know how to deadlift. No, most people don't, and they're the same people that think they know how to erg. By the way, rowing machine. Rowing machine is. People are terrible on the rowing machine. People who are in really good shape are terrible on that. Deadlift, quick way to mess up your back. So I need to learn that one, too. We've got an exciting guest coming up. Stay with me. The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Team Buck, I promise you that it would be quite a freestyle today on the show. We are a day late, but we will not miss out on our celebration of International Sloth Day, which was yesterday. Tell us about these furry friends, the sloths. We're joined by Becky Cliff. She is a British zoologist working at the Sloth Sanctuary of Costa Rica, calling in from Central America. Becky, thank you so much for giving us a ring. Hi, Clint. No problem. So, so, so yesterday was International Sloth Day. My little sister says that her, her dream pet, if she could have anything as a pet, would be a sloth. I think they are fascinating creatures. Tell us a bit about the sloths that you work with every day. Well, 
Harriers lost in the wild um, for six years in Costa Rica, um, and they are amazing creatures. I mean, the babies are undeniably cute, and the adults are as weird as the babies are cute, you know? Um, I think they have this, this laid-back lifestyle that we all probably envy a little bit, um, and they do it all with this permanent enigmatic smile. Um, but I, I tracked their movements um, and monitored their behaviors um, with little tracking devices, um, and that's where my research is at. Are they are they affectionate? Are they kind of like dogs? Did you get it? Can you get? Do they get attached to? I mean, I know they're always attached to trees, but will they sort of sloth attached to you? And you know, this is, I'm just wondering what their what their temperament is like. Because, for example, friends of mine who spend time in Australia and spend time at some of the sort of wildlife preserves there say that as cute as they look, koalas are not to be played with. Are sloths friendlier? So hand-reared sloths that get rescued um, as orphans, they tend to be quite friendly because they've been raised by humans. So they will attach to you a bit like they'll attach to a tree. Um, but sloths in the wild, I mean, they're wild animals and they retain their, their natural instincts. So they can be um, quite aggressive, but that's just out of fear. Um, and they can be quite dangerous as well. So I'd never advise hugging a wild sloth at all. <laughs> now, they're dangerous because it's, they actually, as much as they look like they're all very chill and enjoying vacations, you know, hanging upside down, they've got some nasty claws, right? That's their main defense mechanism? They do. So there's two types of sloth, and they all have those big claws, um, which is actually their fingers. Um, they're not very sharp, but they can squeeze really, really strong. Um, but they also have big teeth. Um, and there's a type of sloth called the two-fingered sloth, which, I mean, they can look after themselves perfectly well. So they, they look after themselves. Aren't there also some, uh, there's like an, they are their own ecosystem. Their fur is home to all kinds of critters, right? This is, I was, I was reading about sloths last night. I found this fascinating. And there's just like algae that attaches to them and bugs will live on them and stuff. What, what's, what's that all about? Yeah, so each one of the soft hairs is actually sort of folded in hair and in half in its structure, and it has algae that grows down the root of that hair, and um, which turns them green um, and helps them camouflage. But also in their hair, they can have um, a type of sloth, a, a type of moth called a sloth moth, which is all, like a species of moth that's only ever found on a sloth. Um, and a single sloth can have up to 300 moths that live in its hair at once. And um, so they are like this whole little ecosystem. It's amazing, really. How long has Sloth, International Sloth Appreciation Day been around, by the way? This just came up in our news feeds yesterday. So we said we have to have a sloth expert on. Is this a new thing? I mean, the sloth, most people just know it moves slowly, hence the word. <laughs> but that's, well, when, did the, when did the day of sloth appreciation come about? I, I should know the answer to that question. Um, and honestly, I only heard about International Sloth Day about five years ago. So I don't think it's been around that long. Um, but I think it's the best day of the year by far. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would, I would assume so. Uh, now, not uh, some people will be eating lunch. We talked about this once before, but we'll have to just give everybody a, a trigger warning here that I'm going to ask the question. It's true that they have a very unique uh, GI system and expulsion, correct? They go once some, in a very rare while. Yeah, so, I mean, it's actually quite amazing. They do only go to the bathroom once a week, um, and when they do, they climb all the way down from the top of the tree, and they dig a little hole at the base of the tree with their tail, um, and they can lose up to a third of their body weight in one sitting, um, which is phenomenal. I mean, if you ever get the chance to watch a sloth go to the bathroom, um, you can see them visibly <laughs> through your eyes. <laughs> wow. 
a sloth poop session. Interesting. Um, it's very. How did you get? If I'm asked, how did it? How did you become a enamored with the sloth? I mean, how did that become your area? Your sort of zoological area of expertise. You just was it just their cute faces and smiles and and demeanor, or how did you find yourself becoming a a sloth expert and one who works with them in the wild? sort of an accident. Um, I got uh, the chance to go to Costa Rica while I was studying for my undergraduate degree. Um, on like I was doing like a 12-month research placement, um, and I, I ended up in Costa Rica at this sloth sanctuary. Um, and then I really quickly discovered that nobody has ever actually researched them long-term in the wild, because they are really difficult to study. Um, and then over... Wait, why, the years, why are they difficult to study? If you find one, haven't, doesn't, doesn't he just chill out and you can watch him? <laughs> he doesn't go anywhere. The problem is finding them. Um, their oh. main defense is camouflage. And if they can hide from a jaguar, for example, um, then they can definitely hide from me and my binoculars. Um, oh. So you don't can't see them um, to do any observations. And that, I think that's why nobody knows anything about them. Um, but there, I, I quickly found myself accidentally becoming a world expert in sloths, um, which I love. I've, I'm, I mean, I've dedicated my life to them now, so I, <laughs> I, I think it was fate. <laughs> I, do, are they sociable creatures? I mean, do they have, like, sloth parties up there in the canopy? You know what I'm saying? Is that something that happens? Or do they just... I assume the, you know, the, the daddy sloth has to go hang out with the mommy sloth at some point. I mean, how does all that stuff work? I mean, not too much detail, but you know what I mean. So they're actually completely solitary, um, but then when the females do want to find the males, they, um, they have a really weird way of attracting them. Um, so they actually scream, and it sounds a bit like a human woman screaming. It's, like You wouldn't expect that noise to come out of a sloth, but it does. Um, it attracts the, the gentlemen, and yeah, and that's when they're, the only time they're social, really. Other than that, they, they stay solitary. So they're totally solitary? And I assume the baby sloth attaches to the mama sloth and just hangs out like sloths do. <laughs> yeah, it hangs out um, for a whole year, actually, on her chest. Um, and then slowly they start to separate from each other. Um, but yeah, it's a long time for any mammal to spend raising its baby. And, and they smell kind of funky, right? Have you, have you gotten used to that smell? Or are you now like, ah, I like the smell of sloth? I'm really glad you asked that question because actually that's just that's a that's a myth. Um, they they don't produce any body odor because then predators would be able to smell them. So they actually smell just like a tree. It's amazing. Oh, that's yeah, because that's all over the internet. Is that they're supposed to be have this weird smell, but apparently not. See, this is where you get the world expert, everybody, to tell you about the sloth. <laughs> so that's that's cool. Anything else? That, a, go ahead. I think there's a lot of myths about sloths, particularly being like smelly and lazy um and they actually only sleep for eight hours a day and i sleep for more than that usually so i don't think they're lazy at all right and they've sort of evolved how many do we know how many beats a minute their hearts go i assume it must be very slow because they have a whole their their uh metabolism must be set up so that they can not do very much and survive yeah, so their heart actually beats at a normal rate, but it does take them 30 days to digest a single leaf, so that kind of makes up for it. Ah, I see. So very slow digestion. All right, very cool. Well, if somebody wants to learn more about sloth conservation, perhaps donate to the cause, where can people go? Where can sloth fans all over the world learn more and, and perhaps help out our furry friends? Um, actually, I've just set up a non-profit foundation um, called the Sloth Conservation Foundation, um, which is a bit of a mouthful. But if anyone wants to see ways they can help, they can um, visit our website, which is slothconservation.com. Um, and so, yeah. 
with, Do, are with people Cal- able to come visit the sanctuary in Costa Rica if they're down there on vacation? Can they go like hang out with the sloths? Um, they can, yeah. There's a the sanctuaries on the Caribbean coast of Costa Rica. If you Google it, um, the Sloth Sanctuary in Costa Rica, it'll come up. Um, it's a great place to visit, so I, I highly recommend it. Everybody, listen. Book your sloth party now. All right, Becky, uh, Becky Cliff, British zoologist at the Sloth Sanctuary of Costa Rica. We really appreciate you calling in. It was really interesting, and thank you very much. And keep up the good work. Well, thank you for spreading the sloth love. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. International Sloth Day, everybody. Thank you, Becky. Uh, team, we're going to go to a break, and we'll be right back. Buck Sexton on the Blaze Radio Network. something to you this comes uh courtesy of well i see the tip on business insider but it's from lawfareblog.com and it's from september 13th so it's a little old but given what's happening today i think this is interesting this is by bruce schneier who's a cybersecurity expert um, and technologist he says over the past year he writes over the past year or two someone has been probing the defenses of the companies that run critical pieces of the internet These probes take the form of precisely calibrated attacks designed to determine exactly how well these companies can defend themselves and what would be required to take them down. We don't know who is doing this, but it feels like a large nation state. China and Russia would be my first guesses. First, a little background. If you want to take a network off the Internet, the easiest way to do it is with a distributed denial of service attack, DDoS. Like the name says, this is an attack designed to prevent legitimate users from getting to the site. There are subtleties, but basically it means blasting so much data at the site that it's overwhelmed. These attacks are not new. Hackers do it to sites they don't like, and criminals have done it as a method of extortion. There is an entire industry with an arsenal of technologies devoted to DDoS defense, but largely it's a matter of bandwidth. If the attacker has a bigger firehose of data than the defender has, the attacker wins. Recently, some of the major companies that provide the basic infrastructure that make the Internet work have seen an increase in DDoS attacks against them. Moreover, they have seen a certain profile of attacks. These attacks are significantly larger than the ones they're used to seeing. They last longer, they're more sophisticated, and they look like probing. One week, the attack would start at a particular level of attack and slowly ramp up before stopping. The next week, it would start at that higher point and continue. And so on, along, along those lines, as if the attacker were looking for the exact point of failure. The attacks are also configured in such a way as to see what the company's total defenses are. There are many different ways to launch a DDoS attack. The more attack vectors you employ simultaneously, the more different defenses the defender has to counter with. These companies are seeing more attacks using three or four different vectors. This means that the companies have to use everything they've got to defend themselves. They can't hold anything back. They're forced to demonstrate their defense capabilities for the attacker. I'm unable to give details because these companies spoke with me under condition of anonymity, but this is all consistent with, with what VeriSign is reporting. And there's more. One company told me about a variety of probing attacks in, in addition to the DDoS attacks, testing the ability to manipulate Internet addresses and routes, 
seeing how long it takes the defenders to respond and so on. Someone is extensively testing the core defensive capabilities of the companies that provide critical Internet services. Who would do this? It doesn't seem like something an activist, criminal or researcher would do. Profiling core infrastructure is common practice in espionage and intelligence gathering. It's not normal for companies to do that. Furthermore, the size and scale of these probes, and especially their persistence, points to state actors. It feels like a nation's military cyber command is trying to calibrate its weaponry in the case of cyber war. It reminds me of the U.S.'s Cold War program of flying high-altitude planes over the Soviet Union to force their air defense systems to turn on to map their capabilities. What can we do about this? Nothing, really. We don't know where the attacks come from. But this is happening, and people should know. All of that written by Bruce Schneier on lawfareblog.com. I will post this on Facebook. That was September 13th, 2016, he posted that. And given what's happening today, very interesting connection, don't you think? Some of the biggest websites in the world being taken down by DDoS attacks. These are sites that have the resources, have this sort of fire hose to usually shut down a DDoS attack, and they're still getting taken offline. And Schneier here is saying, this this isn't your angry teenager with some computer skills in the basement. This is something else entirely, and this is about some of the big dogs in the Internet world and learning what their capabilities are and learning how to bring down basic architecture of the Internet, backbone stuff. Very interesting. I think so. All right. Uh, let's get uh, Trinity in South Carolina. What's up, Trinity? Hey, folks. Shields time, brother. How you doing? Shields time, my man. Thank you for calling in. Hey, I was just letting you know about uh, one of your last callers when she was asking about the word that Donald Trump keeps saying, bigly. Well, I talked to a friend of mine that's from Brooklyn, and he said that's not what he's saying. He's saying bigly. Like Big League Baseball. Nah, I, I don't know. I, I heard him. I'm from New York. I, I heard Bigly. Ty, what did you hear? I, th- I'm think- I think it's Bigly, dude. I don't think it's Big League. I'll be honest with you. I mean, I could be wrong. I'll go back and listen to it. But I heard Bigly very clearly. I'm just because t- even I think before, even Michael Pelkin made the comment of it's not Big League. It's Big League. But I'm not sure. I just thought I would share that with you. That's what that's no, I, I look. I hear you. People, people have been tweeting that at me too. So Trinity, you're not alone on that. I'm just saying. I, I, I heard it with my own two ears here, and I think that it's. I think that it's bigly. I, I really do. And um, it seems that some internet, uh, what do you call it, internet dictionary, say it's a word. So maybe, maybe. But uh, Trinity, man, thank you for calling in. Shields high. Have a great weekend. Uh, wow, hour three is already here. We got another fun guest coming up. Ooh, I think we have two awesome guests coming up. This is a freestyle, my friends. It's going to be crazy. Get excited. Phone lines open, 888-900-3393. Loving all the calls that are coming in today. Really appreciate it. It's cheering me up, sending me off into the weekend with a smile on my face. So if you have any inclination, if you can sneak away from Lumberg, if you can put your TPS reports on hold, do give me a ring. And uh, if you need an alibi, you can. we'll come up with something. We'll say you're part of some secret spy mission that the Freedom Hut assigned you to. Hour three in just a few, Team Buck. Be right back. The Buck Sexton Show. Only on the Blaze Radio Network.
dispensing the truth. This is Buck Sexton on the Blaze Radio Network. All right, Hank in Florida, you're on the Buck Sexton Show. Welcome. Hey, Buck. I was calling to try to maybe get a little uh, Buck brief about the Philippines. It seems like that's a story that really nobody's talking about, and their move towards China is kind of scary. Yeah, no, it's it's interesting. I was I was uh, thinking about getting into this today a bit. I, maybe we'll have, um, I don't know, I think Gordon Chang. Producer Amy, get Gordon Chang on a Monday to talk about how China would benefit from this because he, there's there's a number of levels here. It's a great, great question, Hank, and, and there's a, a few things going on. First of all, you got this guy, uh, Duterte. Uh, I don't even, is that how we say his name? I'm, I'm not a... You got I, me. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's Duterte. It might be Duterte, whatever. Let's say Duterte. Uh, I don't... Uh, I mean... Okay, so he is known for sort of uh, brash rhetoric. He grew up under, under tough circumstances and has sort of a mindset that the that uh, the Philippines has always been a sort of mistreated former colonial possession of the United States. And he says that they're moving more into the China. Well, he actually said some pretty rough stuff. He said yeah, he made fun of America. I'm trying to see what he, Americans are loud, sometimes rowdy. Uh, he did an imitation of American speech and said that it's not adjusted to civility. And he said, in this venue, uh, I announced my separation from the United States. And he said that in Beijing's Great Hall of the People during a state visit. So he's in China and he's saying, I've separated from the United States. And basically, I'm going the I'm going the way of uh, I'm going you know, to China's side of the equation more. Now, a few things. First off, to put this in context, you've got like the trade minister and other people that are uh, not the sort of populist demagogue types who are sort of more the technocrats in the Philippines who are already saying, look, the Philippines has very deep financial uh, economic ties with the United States. That's not about to change. All of our trade agreements are going to stay in place. Uh, this same is just a guy. Too. I'm sorry? I was going to say the same thing with their uh, military guys. They come to the States, and we have a lot of uh, interaction yeah. with them. Oh, yeah. Know? Well, we have. I mean, people forget uh, it. We've, we've been trying to help out for a long time with – an Islamist insurgency in the island of Mindanao uh, for a long time. And they've had there's jihadist operations going on there. Abu Sayyaf group is there. Abu Sayyaf has claimed, uh, I believe, has claimed allegiance to the Islamic State in the past. Uh, there have been you know, beheadings there. The sort of uh, jihadist violence you see in the Middle East, it, it does happen in the Philippines sometimes. Uh, Mindanao Island right. is the main. And I thought at one point they were trying to reach back out to us to say that they wanted us to come back to uh, Subic Bay. A couple of years ago, there was uh, talk of that even, you know, because of China's encroachment. So that's what really. Right. Well, see, this, this is the this. big this is the big concern. I mean, you've got a few you've got a bunch of things clashing together here. You have this post-colonial resentment that Duterte uh, is uh, is t- tapping into. And someone, uh, if you would tire somebody, check on the pronunciation of this guy's last name, because I would hate to be butchering a foreign head of state's last name. That's like that's like Trump styles. Sorry, just Typical kidding. Trump, Trump, Trump would never do that. Yeah, I know. Um, but uh, the. He has a sort of anti-colonial rhetoric, and there's, of course, look, the Philippines is a very poor country. I think the, the, I mean, the call center business alone that operates, that, that's in the Philippines, has a huge workforce um, that yes, U.S. companies is. employ in the Philippines, and that's, you know, yeah, look, you'll hear it sometimes, that. and you can tell, yeah. I mean, it's, I think it's billions of dollars of, of, uh, of revenue for the Philippines that comes specifically just from that, uh, if my numbers are right. Or that's what the expectation is. So there are deep economic ties. The problem is this. We hope to, uh, and this is just the reality of power politics, which still matters. Geopolitics still matters as much as we'd like to believe that, you know, the U.N. and international institutions make all this stuff largely irrelevant. We hope 
Duterte, I was right. Psh, even when I'm even when I'm not sure if I'm right, I'm right. Bam. Thank you, Ty. <laughs> so um, no, but the the, the sort of literal L I T T O R A L L I T T O R A L states. Uh, the Philippines being one of them. I mean, the uh, Japanese, uh, uh, Japanese archipelago, Philippines archipelago. Um, these are supposed to be our allies that keep China somewhat boxed in. And, uh, you know, and so the Japanese Chinese rivalry, for example, is something that Japan is a very close U.S. ally, uh, is an important strategic issue for us in the Pacific and in Asia and Look, China is bigger and bigger all the time, and they want to flex their muscles. They're creating these islands that are actually bases now in the South China Sea. They've claimed the South China Sea as Chinese waters. They've still got an eye on on Taiwan. They have a very large, young base of military uh, military age males, not enough females, uh, a large military operation. I mean, these are not recipes for a happy future, and they've been kept sort of... Yeah, the, the, you know, a lot of the domestic issues and such have been bottled up by the rapid growth and the Chinese government's been growing so fast. And, and a lot of people have been pulled out of poverty, even though there's still a tremendous amount of poverty in China. You have this ultra rich class, but that stuff only is going to last for so long. And, and then you're going to see more sort of Chinese nationalism and muscle flexing with the military. And so the, with the way the Philippines comes into this is if there's a break in the chain, in a sense, almost a literal geographic chain here, if all of a sudden the Philippines becomes a client state of China, uh, which, look, I think we're a long way from that. I think Duterte is, is puffing up his chest and being kind of a punk. And he felt he felt slighted recently by Obama when there was some meeting. And uh, anyway, but the Philippines did sort of flip. Now you now you've got uh, a Chinese partner state that sort of opens up the opens up the gateway into the Pacific even more for them. And it does an end run on our strategy of U.S. allies all sort of to the east and south and southeast of China. Right. Uh, I mean, you've got China boxed in by Russia to the north, by the sort of Eurasian landmass to the west, uh, India to the southwest, and then all these Asian partner states that we have um, to its east and to southeast. So that's where it's really a geopolitics concern. Um, and that's why I think uh, people are, are paying some real attention to it. But it's not indicative necessarily of a real policy shift in the Philippines. This is just one guy. I think he probably sees what's going on with Chinese leadership, with, with Putin and Russia. And, and honestly, not that I'm somebody who starts talking about Trump the fascist. I think that's kind of, out, you know, I think that's out of bounds. But populism works. <laughs> right? The basis of the word is, is, is popu, populi, popularity. Um, and uh, that's, I, I think, uh, what he's trying to pull off here. So am I missing anything, Hank? Anything else? Well, I was just going to say, you know, China seems to play, you know, several years in advance as far as long-term goals and stuff like that. So could the Philippines be looking at them being a, a bigger player long-term and saying, hey, I want to get on the front end of this? Oh, of course. The that they're putting up their chess pieces, then they could be a, a pawn or, you know, a, a rook or something like that, a bigger player. Because if China does collapse, the way I see it with their military islands that they're pumping up is that they're just segmenting off the South China Sea and the Pacific because all we got left after that is pretty much Guam, you know, and, you know, what can Korea or or Japan at that at that point really do to hold off China to what they really want to do? Yeah, well, look, China is right now a regional power aspiring to be a hemispheric power, and it's pretty much it's. It's really there, I guess you could say. 
and right. and beyond that, it wants to be a global power, and that's right. going to mean expanding its presence. Uh, it already has engaged in a, a sort of almost like a mercantilism all over the world. I mean, the Chinese have been uh, willing to work with all kinds of all kinds of countries and all kinds of regimes for the exploitation of natural resources and minerals and you know right, being uh, in Africa and stuff. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, they're they're going all yep. over the world in search of this stuff. And that's another issue, by the way, when you have this enormous population, over a billion people, and you don't have the natural resources domestically really to support that population's growth and economy and industrialization. Historically, this is a worrying thing. This doesn't tend to end well. And while I think that this isn't a concern, I don't think China is going to get into a hot war with anybody with big guns in the next three to five years you start looking out 10 to 15 years, and really military planners have to do that, and right. China, is wor- China is worrisome, uh, not necessarily just for the United States, for some of the other uh, regional players here. And I think as yeah, it gets... They're, they're, yeah, because they're putting out their uh, t- test runs for aircraft carriers and stuff like that right now. So, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, when the, chi- when the Chinese have, have aircraft carriers that... You know, essentially have a world class air force and and can get anywhere in the world pretty quickly, uh, just like we do. I mean, maybe they won't be quite as good as ours, but if they get close enough. Their projection of military power becomes a game changer in a lot of contexts. So, look, the U.S. as the global hegemon is a good thing, but it's not a permanent thing unless we try to make it so. Uh, with that, I got to bounce uh, for the break. But Hank from Florida, great call. Thank you, team. Back in a few. The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Show on the Blaze Radio Network. All right, team, we're joined now by Steve Searles. He is the Bear Whisperer from the hit Animal Planet, uh, Animal Planet series, The Bear Whisperer. Steve, great to have you on. Thanks for calling in. Thank you, sir. How did you become the Bear Whisperer, if I may ask? How did, how did you follow well, this path before we get into some specifics about how to deal with bears? Yeah, the, the Bear Whisperer is a misnomer. It's just the name of a show. I'm I'm kind of a bear yeller, to put that right. But um, uh, we had a, a large population of black bears, like a lot of communities do. And as an avid outdoorsman and hunter, they hired me to um, pull them, to put them down and uh, limit the numbers. Um, we came up with a, a, a plan to use non-lethal uh, to teach the bears rather than kill them. And uh, we never killed any of them. It ended up you know, being a, a big success. So you're able to deal with those bears in a non-lethal manner. When you come across a, a black bear in general, what's the what are the best things? So you, you, you got a lot of people listening now across the country who are avid outdoorsmen, outdoors women, and and they like to go in the woods, camping, hunting, fishing, all the rest of it. Dealing with a black bear, what do you do? And is it different than what you do if you came across a grizzly? Sure, I just work with black bears, so I can't speak to uh, the grizzlies. But um, uh, if you are lucky enough to be in an area that has uh, black bears uh, are one of the greatest indicator species, you know, of uh, clean air, clean water, uh, nice people, good habitat. Then um, I encourage people to enjoy the moment. Um, you know, the, the silly stuff that, w- that we put out there on what to do when we see a bear. 
uh, I, I would, um, you know, hug your loved ones, pay your taxes, thank your God. Um, it, it's great to see back black bears, and it enriches our day. If you're not enjoying the experience, um, sure, yell at them, uh, uh, throw rocks, uh, uh, let them know that you're there, and, and you can make distance between you and the bear. But um, of the hundreds and hundreds of thousands of experiences with bears, uh, very few go bad. Now, uh, how are the black? How's the black bear population doing in the country in general? I assume this is something that you pay pretty close attention to, as somebody who's on a show called The Bear Whisperer. Sure. Um, a lot of places similar to California, we shot the grizzly bear uh, to extinction in 1928, and so that uh, experiment is far from over. Uh, there's not a checks and balance that Mother Nature put here. So uh, the population of black bears has continued to expand in California and has uh, one of the largest populations in all of the continental United States at probably 32,000 black bears. So um, we will continue to see them uh, more and more closer to people, closer to cities. Um, they're very, very adaptable. And so uh, this phenomenon will, will, will continue in our lives. Do you deal with a, a fair amount of, of bears that are sort of raised in captivity? And, and what's what's that like? We don't. We we work with uh, wild bears. Uh, we don't use any dope, any collars, any cages. Um, uh, we have a, uh, a population that lives with us here in Mammoth Lakes. Um, if you shoot your bears out, you're going to get more bears that don't know the ways of man. Uh, I'm a lazy man. I took the easy way out. I, I chose to teach the bears, and they hold that population uh, at a steady number. So um, we do everything we can uh, to keep our bears alive, uh, teach them every day, and, and they're great members of our community. Do you get a sense that they that uh, I mean, you've seen this with other very famously? I think with Jane Goodall with chimpanzees felt like they they came to know her even just by her presence. Uh, and and you know there have been other instances of people who spend a lot of time in the wild with animals where they feel like the animals have a, a recognition of them. Do some of the bears you come across do they do you do you get the sense that they know? Hey. Uh, there's Steve. <laughs> Steve's hanging out again. Again, I work with a, a specific number of bears right here in our town, and so I know them from the time they're born until the time they die. I've done this for decades, and so generations of bears know who I am and uh, know what I'm likely to do. If you get in somebody's garage, in their pickup truck, uh, if you're causing trouble, I'm going to shoot you in the butt with rubber bullets, uh, flashbang devices, pyrotechnics, um, uh, pepper spray, that kind of thing. So I'm very heavy-handed with the bears when they're in trouble. Uh, the rest of the time, we, we uh, try to protect them and, and keep them uh, in a good way. But, um, no, each and every bear in Mammoth knows exactly who I am. So tell me, on the show, The Bear Whisperer, what, what can people expect to see if they tune in to see you on Animal Planet? Oh, that show ran uh, a few years back, and it, it garnered a lot of attention. Uh, being a resort community in Iscaria, Millions of people come around the, from around the world to come here and expecting to see bears, and, and oftentimes they do. But, um, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's uh, you know TV. You're a, you're a TV personality. It's a lot of editing. But for <laughs> us in Mammoth, it's, um, it's just a, a quality of life. Uh, when you watch the news tonight versus when you get up in the morning, there's a bear strolling through your, your yard here in our town. We, we feel that uh, it's a better day. Uh, we, we, we like it. We, we, we don't, um, uh, you know, put a helicopter up or close down the schools or any of that silly stuff we see on the news. 
um, we, we think it's a positive uh, experience. Is there, uh, before I let you go, Steve, anywhere for people if you just want to direct them to more resources to learn about black bears or habitats? Is there any sort of foundation to uh, protect the habitats? Anything at all like that you want to give folks a heads up about? We, we, yeah, thank you for asking that question, but we are the habitat. Um, they are our bears. I live in paradise. Uh, but if you want to contact me or, or ask questions, you can go to my Facebook at Steve Searles. Um, I, uh, we do have a, a, a website as well at, at uh, the Bear Whisperer. But um, sure, if, if any of your listeners want to reach out and uh, get any kind of tips or uh, hints on how to coexist peacefully with these animals, I'll be glad to help if I can. All right. Steve Searles of thebearwhisperer.com. You can check out his site. Steve, appreciate your time. Thank you for calling in. You bet. Thank you, sir. Keith in Alaska, you're on the Buck Sexton Show. Hey, Buck. What's uh, up, brother? To, hey, how's it going? Good. Um, I just wanted to say, you were just talking about the DDoS attack. You were, you were reading from the expert who was saying that they have no idea who's doing these DDoS attacks. Well, he said he thinks it might be Russia or China, but he says he, he can't prove it. He can't prove it, but yet there's a hack, and one day later they know it's, it's Russia. That doesn't make sense to me. If they don't, if they, you got some com- some country or somebody attacking hundreds of websites, and they can't figure out exactly who it is. But yet, there's a small hack, and they know exactly who it is. Well, look, I mean, that, I, I'm I'm basing this just on on sort of powers of of deduction, but uh, no, 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 I, I agree with you 100 percent on that. It's just, I'm just saying it's just little bit fishy. Yeah, but I mean, one one attack could be, look, I, I don't know enough about the specifics of how these things function. And when, I always try to be very honest with all of you about what I what I really know and what I just sort of know as somebody who tries to be well informed. Uh, and, and on this issue, you know, DDoS attacks, cybersecurity, this is not this is not really my area, but I can assume that the that some attacks are much more complex than others, probably much better masking of the origin of the attack based on the skill set of the perpetrators. I mean, that's, look, uh, somebody who's got some computer skills and is in a basement in uh, Belarus and is trying to mess with a bunch of companies is probably going to be much more, you know, or, or forget a bunch of companies and is trying to just get into like Podesta's emails or something, right? Just theoretically, that's going to be much easier to trace than a state-sponsored hacking collective, essentially, or hacking unit, if it's kind of a, a part of a, of a military apparatus, a cyber command, that is going to have all sorts of ways to cloak its place of origin, have much more computing power at its disposal, and also know that they're acting with the impunity of never having to face being turned over. I mean, there's no way, if, they're, if these are Russian or Chinese hackers... No one's going to turn over, uh, t- turn them over to the U.S. government I- if it was a government-sponsored or government sort of nod and a wink situation. You know what I mean? Yep, yep. No, I hear you. I hear you. Um, to, to just another one quick more comment here. Um, a while ago, you were saying that you had never bought any uh, jewelry for any women before, and uh, but <laughs> yeah. you're going to have to you're going to have to buy some uh, you're going to have to buy some jewelry. And okay. uh, maybe a nice set of diamond earrings or something of that nature for a, a nice lady, you know, maybe around Christmas time or uh, after about six months or so. Is this just and, a, is this just a, a, a tip or are you is there, are you yep, giving me like yep, a special just, place I need to go and get this stuff? Just my tip from from uh, me to you. Okay, and man. Also, I also wanted to say that uh, I've got two dogs and uh, my boy dog is a maniac and. Uh, 
if he wants to get off the leash, he has to be on his, on his uh, we call it the special collar, but uh, it is a shot collar because he just is a maniac and he will not listen once he gets around other dogs. But does that shot so, collar, yeah. I mean, does he like yelp when it hits him? I mean, how bad is it? No, not him, not at all. He, um, he uh, as a matter of fact, if there's another dog around, I could have that thing fully turned up and he, will not, he still won't listen to me. He will just race what over kind of, What kind of dogs are we talking about here? I need to get a, apparently I need to get jewelry for a, for a lady. There's a lady. Uh, and and also uh, I need to get a dog. What, what kind of dogs do you have? Uh, this is an Australian Shepherd. Uh, he's an Australian Shepherd. And my other dog is a half Australian Shepherd and half Lab. Oh, and, oh uh, man, she's, great. She's a female. Don't have to do anything with her. Can, she can be off the leash just fine. No issues. But he's, he's still an in-contact male. And he, he's just crazy when it comes to other dogs, and he will not listen. Yeah, I might go to uh, I might go to dog I might go to dog Halloween this weekend. Actually, in New York, apparently people dress their dogs up in Halloween costumes in go. like a public park. I might just drop by to be that guy who like sees all the cool. If I do, obviously, I'll take some photos and post it on Facebook. Keith from Alaska, great to talk to you, my friend. Thank you very much for uh, thank you very much for calling in and for the uh, for the tip uh, about jewelry. Interesting, very interesting. We got Michael in Houston on line. What's up, Michael? Oh, still being screened? Yeah, put him on. What's up, Michael? Hey, I was just going to kind of respond and say that the uh, when it comes to DDoS attacks, you can actually um, run VPNs, which will mask your stuff. But also, a lot of DDoSers they will um, they will send out malicious malware to other people's computers, and other people that um, have those viruses on their computers can be contributing to the DDoS, which makes it harder to track as well. So it's sort of like they take the computer systems of the company and turn them against the company itself. Yes, you can do very uh, lots of various different things. I'm, again, I'm not an expert in this area, but I have uh, studied it a little bit and know that there's a lot of various things you can do with DDoSing that does make it incredibly hard to track. Um, lots of companies get DDoS, uh, like uh, gaming companies like World of Warcraft will get DDoS and Pokemon Go. They got DDoS. It's hard to track where it comes from because of how the nature of it happens. And also, I wanted to say finally that uh, I'm really excited that Evan McGwellen is uh, taking the lead in Utah right now. I hope we can have more out of him. He's He's got the lead in Utah, really? Yes, a new poll came out. He is winning by four points, which is the error of margin uh, in that state on that poll. Wow. Wow. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, all I mean, right, I, you know, all, all I can Go say back. though is if, if if Trump loses by whatever the number of electoral votes are that are in Utah, oh god, the GOP civil war is going to go on forever. It's going to be a nightmare. <laughs> I really hope that doesn't I happen. I really hope that doesn't I agree. happen. I hope that doesn't as well. All right, Michael and Houston, man, great to talk to you. Shields high. Have a good weekend. Uh, oh man, think about that for a second. Oh my gosh. The one th- I just I just don't want I just don't want any more fighting in the family you know in the GOP family in the conservative family I just want us to be a united front e- even if even if we have to face off against Madam Secretary for four years or eight years or whatever I don't I, I don't I don't want any more uh, red on red Republican on Republican if Evan wins Utah and that's the difference and for some reason that's like the margin of victory that Trump would have made. it's I don't, I don't. This probably isn't even mathematically possible. Let's not even worry about it. We're not even going to talk about that right now. Uh, I'm going to go to a break, team, and we'll close it out strong. Stay with me. The Buck Sexton Show. Discover more at theblaze.com/slash/radio. The Blaze Radio Network. 
listening to the Buck Sexton Show. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. Couple more callers. Team Buck, what's up? Megan in Mississippi. Oh, sorry. I, I, I jumped the gun on that one. Roger in Pennsylvania. Hey, Buck. Shields high. Shields high. Hey, I was uh, calling to say I, I, uh, I've been wondering how we got to where we are with the slate of candidates we have uh, until the night of the debate, and I realized, I remembered two words, Zaphod Beeblebrox. What? You ever, you ever read this Hitchhiker's Guide? No. Uh, the, the purpose, the, the, one of the main guys there was the president of the galaxy, and the whole the whole reason that they elected people president of the galaxy was not to lead, but to distract from the actual leadership. Okay, I guess I, should I read this book? Uh, you, yeah, I think you'd enjoy it. It's a spoof on on every science fiction book ever written. Okay, I'll check it out. I've actually it's funny. I've been I've been returning. Thank you for calling in, Roger. I'm going to continue with this this weekend. I was going to even talk about this. Maybe we'll next week at some point, probably next Friday, when we're like mellowing out together, taking another break from crazy election stuff. I've been going back and rereading fiction that I was forced to read for school and basically remember none of it and now can go back and appreciate it, um, which has been kind of a fun exercise because I think a lot – I know this is the case for me. There, I was talking about the book guilt thing of books you should have read. I realize there are also books that I read, but I read them for – reading comprehension test purposes, you know, you read this so you can remember things. And when you're assigned something as a seventh grader or a ninth grader, it's not the same as when you're kicking back, you know, for me on the roof, which is where, which is like my sanctuary here in New York. It's public, guys. It's not like I have my own roof. Like anybody from the building can go up there. But uh, go up there and read some stuff. I'll probably do that this weekend, in fact, if the weather cooperates. Um, so going back and reading some fiction is a, is a fun thing to do. I'm also going to continue to watch the show Billions on Showtime, which I've kind of gotten into recently. So that's my crazy weekend plan. It's going to be amazing, obviously. Uh, team, please download today's show. I hope you enjoyed our Freestyle Friday. Share it with a friend or two, especially maybe some of the wackier segments. Psyched to be with you every day next week. As always, Shield High. You're listening to Buck Sexton on the Blaze Radio Network.